to say yes sir and then the bible goes on to say eh eh if you are obedient you are calling the bible ala ba shake bredo sokolo hey hallelujah ah no let's do this thing give me first peter chapter 3 i feel the anointing to teach this thing if the light goes on it's not enough it's not enough for the light to go on the bible says the light shines No, my life will not just go on. It's not enough that you cleared. You have to be excellent. Your life, no, 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 it's, it's not enough that you feel before. And he has put all things under his side, under his side. gathering is not by chance you designed it and predestined it that we may benefit of it we ask that it be so use me to communicate great things to your people by the power of the spirit in the name of the lord jesus we will be grateful as we already are for what you have done and what you will do afterward amen amen okay so sometimes when you come for a meeting like this you just want to just want to i don't know what you are going through so that's why sometimes i like a question and answer session because it helps me it helps me be a little bit more effective where god has not told me what to communicate so do we have any questions none all right when <laughs> Oh please. I was trying to avoid questions. <laughs> In truth. That's why I quickly said but this that please ask it. Go ahead. The relationship between destiny and choices. smiling you know there are people who laugh when they are shocked <laughs> i am i'm the people because it's, it's like you are taking me into a whole different field yeah um one time the lord jesus was praying when jesus was born when jesus was born before he was born an angel appeared to mary right yes. and said to her the child that you are going to have shall save his people from sin you shall call his name jesus now when you go back to the book of isaiah you understand that the way in which he was going to save the people from sin was through dying for them because isaiah says he was wounded for our transgressions isaiah 53 The chastisement that brought us peace was laid upon him and by his stripes we were healed. 
So putting those two words together, we have Jesus, right? But there was a time when Jesus was in a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, he faced the battle of the will. There was a destiny which was predestined for him. But then there was what he wanted. Jesus said, I don't want this, in actual sense. He said, mm, is there a way in which I can avert this, this, this death? Is there a way I can circumvent it? He literally said, this is not my, I don't want this. Jesus did a number of warfares. He fought people, he fought demons. But for the first time in his life, in this fight, his sweat looked like blood. So one of the greatest fights, which will be quite strenuous for every human being, is the battle against your own will. Because there's what you want and there's what God wants. But remember what he said at the end, right? He says, not mine. Do you remember that? But, so that means the death was not Jesus' will. In as much as he was God, remember he was a human being, and imagined, oh, dying, being stripped naked, putting out my beard, and I have been treating it well. Ah, <laughs> ah no. <laughs> so he struggled with that thing. So there is a link between destiny and choices. In that destiny is something that is given to you by the one who creates you. The one who creates you already gives you a purpose. So God does not just randomly create people for the sake of creating. He's not wasteful. Every person, every person who is born has a particular unique set of skills and a particular personality and abilities. And when you isolate that person, you discover that those endowments they have can serve a particular purpose. And if you study that person spiritually, you find that, oh, they are like this because God wanted them to be like that. But then there's also what you want. There's what God wants. There's also what you want. Yeah. So you can choose to walk in the path that God predestined for you. It's called living in the perfect will of God. But then God also, because he gave us what is known as free will, he allows us to make our own decisions. He allows us to make our own decisions. At the point that you make your own decision, the reward or the punishment you are going to make for the decision that you make can depend on the quality of decision that you make. Not every decision which is outside the perfect will of God will necessarily, necessarily attract punishment. So, for example, uh, sometimes you, God says that's the guy you're supposed to marry, but you don't like him. <laughs> I'm just giving you an example. But you don't like him, maybe because he's not your type. He's God's type for you. But he is not, he is not your, come in, come in, please come in. He is not your type for you. The person that you marry is not what determines whether you go to heaven or whether you go to hell. 
Yeah, because salvation, making it to heaven is a function of believing in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, not the person you marry. But God can also tell you who the best person for you is in marriage. If you refuse to marry that person, you will not go to hell. But it will affect the quality of your life and how you serve God. So, I wanted to draw something here. But there's a sermon I taught titled, uh, The Paintbrush Theorem. I think, look for that one. It will answer your question in full. Yeah? So, the point, therefore, is that there is that, all right? You try to do it, it will affect your life. And normally you see it when you grow up. When you are 90, then you say, Ah, I should have listened. Yeah. But then there are also those decisions that you make that will just take you to hell. Because, for example, salvation. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, it says, I said before you, life and death, blessings and curses, it brings them in extremities. But then he advises you. He doesn't force you. He says, choose life that you may live. But you can say, if, if it's a tiff on a death. <laughs> so, you don't just expect to go to heaven when you are living like you want to go to hell all of a sudden. You will go where you belong. <laughs> so God will not temper with your decision, but he will advise you. Even with him having told you, this is, this is where I want you to go. Someone read to me the book of Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. And please read it from the Amplified. Ephesians. Avena Epheso verse 10 from the Amplified. Thank you. Number one, we are whose handiwork? Ah, software, you are not your own. <laughs> and you are his handiwork, right? Do you know what handiwork means? It's like an artist's best, best art. It's called workmanship. Come on in, come on in. It's like the artist's best art. Please go on. We are God's own handiwork, his workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus. You were even recreated. That means you were created, something went wrong, so you needed repair. <laughs> but you were. <laughs> and even then, you did, not, you did not create yourself again, you were recreated yes. in Christ Jesus. In the kingdom of God, there are no self-made guys. That self-made stupidity does not exist here. The Bible says, God said, let us make man. In this kingdom, you are made. You are made. Mm. All right. We created in Christ Jesus. Born anew. Ah, so when you are being born, you are not there. You don't know what happened between your mother and your father when you are being born. Whether they were married 
or they just told you we got married or they met somewhere you don't know so the point i make is that <laughs> you are just born you don't know what they use the ingredients they put i'm trying to i'm trying to explain to you that you're not your own which is a strange thing because how come you're not your own yet you are given free will i thought free will only belongs to the people who are their own like self-made you know what i'm saying are you following i'll tell you why because god is love and there's no love which does not express itself in giving and then love will give its best so one of the best things that god has about himself is free will so if he's going to create a man in his own image and likeness which is the image and likeness of love then that image and likeness will have to contain a dimension of his totality which is free will so we are like god in many aspects including free will except we are gods we are his right i'm going somewhere yes that we may do which which god predestined which god so even the works you have to do they were created before you were recreated and born anew so then the purpose of the free will is so that you don't function as a robot one of the things that god enjoys is to see you use your free will to serve him effectively for example for example uh god doesn't like a situation where he has to tell you everything rise up go to the toilet <laughs> now go and study are you seeing that there are things you can decide for yourself that's why he gave you free will so that you're not a robot so that you are like him but when you begin to grow up spiritually you then realize that that free will is so that you can you can sit down thank you so that you can serve him effectively so that you can serve him effectively now with that free will you can choose what you want like the people who chose to eat an apple i don't know if it was an apple in the garden god said don't but they did it did God know that they would eat of that fruit? Yes and no. How can you know with certainty what someone is going to choose to do if you give them free will? It means there's a part listen it means there's a part of the human being which is very unpredictable and God knows it. So God is so powerful that he limits the amount of knowledge he has about the human being. Because if God Listen, this is so important. I I know for some of you it may sound like blasphemy. But it's not everything God can do. Yeah, then why is your life so messed up? <laughs> it's not everything God can do. God is in control. If God if God was in control, why is the world so messed up? I'm trying to teach you there's a someone I've been trying to teach title the limitations of God. <laughs> God, here's a mystery of the, yeah, you see, that's why I laughed, because you are just taking me off. 
of trail. So here is the, the mystery of the of the for the, the they hide these things. But monitors, it's always a girl. Where's the what? I need to show you something. Is this inorganic or organic? It's inorganic. <laughs> I just remember that it should be organic somewhere. Whether it's inorganic or organic. <laughs> but this kind of stuff is not found in organic, is it? Okay, you're for just in your pen and the I really need to show you something. I want you to understand God. Now you have let Pastor go, Pastor who doesn't belong to this church, to this institution. That won't make I need everyone to see. You have only trace. That's right. You can't even write. But you can run. <laughs> Alright. Uh so maybe let's do, let's do, no, no problem. So maybe let's do, okay, let me try to explain it. God is all-knowing, right? God is all-knowing. The, the, the word is omniscient. Omniscient, everybody say omniscient. Omniscient. When you go back, you tell your boyfriend, you're not omniscient, you don't know where I was. <laughs> God is omniscient, that means he is all-knowing, and that can never be taken away from him. That means he knows everything. Present, past, future about you, about me, about the world, about events. But then my argument is that if God gave you free will, then he limits his omniscience. So... Because free will means I cannot predict what you're going to decide. If I can predict what you're going to decide. Now, I can obviously predict. But then, there is a place for unpredictability by virtue of the fact that free will entails that you are a free moral agent. So, think of it like this. In the omniscience of God, God knows all the strands that can never exist in time. For example, if you don't know the, the, the possibilities, the, the total sum of possibilities of decisions that you can make, all you know is that they are infinite, right? But that, is, that also means that God, you, 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 you are just aware of the... You are just aware of the abstract idea that the number of decisions you can make are infinite. In the space-time continuum, the number of decisions you can make are infinite. You can't count them. You can, for example, you can stand, you can lay on the floor. All those are decisions you can make. You, if you want, you can be studying instead of being here. You, you, can, you can go home and relax. It's an infinite number of decisions. Let's imagine there were two million decisions that you can make. You don't know there are two million. All you know is that they are infinite in the space-time continuum, right? But in the omniscience of God, he knows each of the two million decisions you are able to make. 
Are you seeing what makes God powerful? He knows each of them and in which space and at which point in time. He knows. So let's look at them in terms of decisions. If say, let's reduce the infinite number of decisions you can make to three. In the one, in the one uh, possibility, you can be a doctor or a medical practitioner, whatever. In the other one, you can be a pastor. In the other one, you can be a businessman, right? Okay, let me make it easier. In one possibility, you can get A. In the other one, B. In the other one, C. So all these guys are surrounding you. The difference between you and God is that with God, he has been to 20 years after you marry A, to 20 years after you marry B, to 20 years after you marry C. So for example, he knows that if it's Brian that you marry, this is what will happen to you in the first year of marriage. This is what will happen to you in the 16th year of your marriage. This is what will happen. So let's say it says this marriage will last 15 years. This one will last 20. This one will last 60. So then he comes to your future, to your, to your present. And he tells you, you like the one, this guy, but go for this one. So the one that you like is the one you will last 20 years with, right? But the one that God wants for you is the one that you will last 60 years with. Because he's been to the future. Remember, you've never been there. <laughs> so, and God has watched all your, before they happen, God has watched each marriage. Each marriage, from beginning to end, the children, the names they will have, the people that will be born from you, each, he knows them. If you marry this one, this is a child you will not have. Instead, you will have this one. He knows them. So, he, he, he's, he now says, look, I don't think you should marry C, you should marry A. What God does not know is which one you are going to choose to marry. But whoever you choose to marry, God knows everything that will happen afterwards. Wow. Why? Because he gave you free will to choose. And he would watch you choose. But the moment you are choosing, he knows what's going to happen. But he will let you choose. And sometimes he will know because of the kind of person you are who you are going to choose. He may even advise you. He may even advise you, say, no, don't go for this one, but he will let you choose. So sometimes what God does is that when people do not live in his perfect will, he provides um, shock absorbers. I'll give you an example. So one time, God is facing the floor and is looking restless. And the angels are asking each other, but why, why is it? Then he says, we're going to create a human being in our own image and likeness. And some of the angels, senior angels, obviously sat him down and said, this is, I don't want to say it's a mistake. <laughs> You have never made a mistake. 
but are you just sure this is what you want? And he says, yes. Making someone in your own image and likeness means they can choose whatever they want. We have been with you for ageless years. We've never chosen what you wanted. <laughs> now you're going to create someone just like you who can choose. A... Yes. Do you know what it means to have free will? I'm bored, I know. Okay, let's just explain. We know you know, but let's just explain. <laughs> so when God creates that kind of human uh, entity, when God creates that kind of being, the angels say, no, it's not done. You can't create a human being in your image and likeness and put him in a perfect world. Then they are a robot. Because it means that they don't have free will. So to, to make sure that you satisfy us that they are free will, put a possibility of them disobeying you. That's the only way you can show that So the best way to demonstrate that possibility of disobedience is to give them an instruction which can be kept or broken. And the instruction is, don't eat of this food. So then you, are, you see the purpose, the purpose of the tree. I don't know if she's here, that girl. She's the one who asked that question. You are here. I've been seeing you on your phone. <laughs> so you can't ask the question, if God knew that the man was going to betray him. Why then did he put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? No, that's the wrong question you're asking. The question you should be asking is, if God said that he was going to give free will to a human being, then why put him in a perfect world without a possibility of disobedience? Because then he's a robot. He's a robot just doing nice things. <laughs> But then God does, remember what I told you, God also puts shock absorbers. So what he does is, okay, look, there's a possibility that these guys may disobey me. They may do what they want. So what am I going to do? The Bible says Christ was crucified before the foundation of the earth was laid. So in case they disobey me, I still have to save them. So one of us should die. <laughs> God the wait. So before the foundations, the Bible says he was crucified before the foundation of the earth. That means before the earth was laid, the foundation of the earth. Now, Genesis chapter 1 is not the first time that God created the heavens and the earth. No. When you study, when you study, when you study archaeology, you discover that the oldest human being is 6,000 years old, right? Human beings do not predate 6,000 years. They don't. No, they don't. Fossils will tell you that research Science will tell you that human beings, carbon dating, they check your genes. You know, they are, they are able to tell how long human beings have been there from history and from just genetic, uh, genetic engineering. They can tell the age of their species. 
So we've, we've not been around for more than 6,000 years old. Yet, there have been dinosaurs, which when you check how long they've lived, you do your research, they've been, they predate carbon dating C14 is able to show you the exact time, and it keeps developing. It can show you the exact time in which a particular fossil existed. And when a T-Rex, uh, the dinosaurs, they existed more than 2.4 million years ago. Okay, now that's not a topic I want to get into. I'll get into when you come to church. <laughs> that one I'll get into it because I've promised the church demonology, right? Yes. So this is how, when I start, we start discussing demons. We'll bring them in the lab, we'll cut them like this. <laughs> then I will show you. So they existed, the, the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? That's Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Now, God, the next verse, verse 2, says the earth was formless and void. That sounds inconsistent with God because the perfect God cannot create a formless and void space and, and matter. So that means between Genesis chapter 1, Genesis verse 1 is a perfect picture of God creating the heavens and the earth. In, in theology, there's what we call the gap theory, meaning what happened between two verses may have taken millions of years as opposed to the speed at which you are reading them. For example, the Bible will just tell you that Cain left and where he went, he married. Then the question you're asking is, where did people come from? <laughs> so there's, there's what we call gap theory. It's like suddenly, suddenly Jesus is 12 years old. The next verse is at the... Is, his faith is being baptized. So there's a gap, what we call the gap theory. So between verse 1, a perfect world, and verse 2, there's something that happened there, which I'll only tell you when you come to church. So, okay, okay. Okay, the reason I'm not getting into that is I'll derail myself, but the point I wanted to make is, Imagine if the earth is 5 million years old. Christ was crucified before 5 million years old. That's the point I wanted to make. Human beings are 6,000 years old. They are not the first creatures God made on this earth. Uh, there were civilizations here before we came. But the Bible says, let there be light. That word, let, is a permissive word. It was not the creation of light. It means something happened that hit the light, but he was disclosing it yet again. Yeah. I'll, I'll show you. I'll show you. I'll show you. I'll, I'll take you through. I'll take you through creation. <laughs> All right. So the point I make is Christ was. That means before the earth was created. There was a meeting in heaven. So, okay, when I make all these things, what I really want to do was create a human being. Ah, no, then there's a debate in heaven. So, okay, no, I think you die for him before he's created so that with this free will, in case he messes up, you can still redeem him. So that is the, the death of Christ was not God's perfect will. Remember what I told you at the beginning? Yes. I told you that... There are some, not every decision that is outside God's perfect will attracts eternal death. 
Sometimes it depends on what decision and sometimes it depends on how God helps you. So, if when we failed to live in God's perfect will, which is do not eat of the forbidden tree, we went into God's permissive will. And God's permissive will, it's, it was not his initial will for Jesus to die on the cross or for Jesus to show up. It was a mystery in God that was there before the foundation of the earth was laid. In other words, had Adam not eaten of the forbidden fruit, there would have been no need to have Jesus. For what? <laughs> yeah, for what? To come redeem what? So it's disobedience which brought Jesus. So that's what I mean by when there are shock absorbers. When people make wrong decisions, God tries everything in his power to help them. So that they don't perish. Alright? So that's about uh, destiny. Your destiny is connected to your decisions. And our decisions, our free will, was given to us so that we could serve God freely, so that we could use it to obey God. Mm. Um, when, 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 when Adam was created, there were two trees in the garden, right? There was a, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Yeah. There was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and there was the tree of life. Remember last time I told you that he did not eat of the tree of life. He did not eat of the tree of life. No, because if he had eaten of it, then there would have been no need to send angels to guard it after he had eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But after he ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God quickly sent cherubim angels to guard it with swords so that he doesn't eat of it. But why stop someone from eating something they've already eaten? So it means he had not eaten of the tree of life. If he had not eaten of the tree of life, it means that he was capable of dying. Because it means that he wouldn't have been eternal. The question then is what would have kept Adam going for a long time without dying if not, if not the tree of life? So the Bible says God came in the cool of the day and he asked Adam where are you? Then he said, we are hiding because we are naked. So, when you study the Bible, you notice that it means God used to have fellowship with Adam. God would come and get reports. What have you done today? No, today we went into the ocean, we did this, so we are pushing the garden further. Because he gave him an assignment. And when you are given an assignment, it means you have to go back and report. So, Sometimes Adam would appear in the meetings that God would have in heaven with his angels. Sometimes God would come down to earth and commune with him. Why do I know that? Why do I say that Adam would appear in the meetings in heaven? Because after Satan got Adamic authority, he would appear in heaven before the sons of God, although he was cast down. But what gave him power to appear? What gave Adam power to appear in heaven? was the power that he had stolen from Adam. That is 
what made him a prince of this world. The prince of this world was not Lucifer. The prince of this world was Adam. Was Adam. And that gave him authority. So, he says to Jesus, worship me. When you worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world because they were delivered to me. That's what he said. So, the kingdom and the excellence and the glories of this world were delivered to Lucifer when Adam failed to obey God. That means before that, the kingdoms of this world, the glories there of the powers and the beauty were all subject to Adam. And as a king, he had, he, he had an answerable duty to God. He had to go there or God would come and commune with him. But every person who communes with God, something happens to them. For example, the Bible tells you that Moses went into the presence of God and when Moses came out of the presence of God, he was shining to the extent that the people would not behold him. So he had to put a veil on his face until the glory diminished. Now imagine a person who is having meetings with God almost weekly and daily. Something happens to them. When Moses was dying at, at the age of over 100, the Bible says his eyes were not failing him. His body was not dim. And he was climbing Mount Sinai, which was 6,000 feet tall, long. An old man. Remember when he began to lead the Israelite nation, he was 80 years old. So he would climb. Where did he get the energy to climb? It's because there is an effect that the presence of God has on you. So the choice that Adam made to eat of the tree of life was not forbidden. What was forbidden, as the Bible expressly tells us, was to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But Adam did not want to eat of the tree of life because what renewed him was his fellowship with God. That's why the Bible says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. So there is something that would always happen to Adam that would refresh him every time he would have meetings with God. And if, listen, if, God, if Adam ate of the tree of life, it means that he would become deity in full. He would not need God to renew him. Therefore, there would be no purpose for relationship and intimacy. He would become a God in himself, not dependent on God. God depended on Adam to work the garden. But Adam had to depend on God for the supply of life. So there was an interdependence. So Adam exercised his free will in the early days to partner with God. So your free will was designed so that you can partner with God. There are things that God can't do. That's why he sent you here. There are some things you can do. There are some things you can't do. That's why you need God. So our free will is supposed to be a partnership to work with God. Because in any case, you were hewn out of God. You are a dimension of God in this earth. You are a walking particle of deity. Look at the way you think, the questions you ask. Look at your perceptions and perspectives. You are not just a ball of cells that happened due to evolution. You are not just a bundle up of amoebas put together from the sea. 
there are about 13 components in blood. Blood has about 13 components. That has to exist at the same time for a human being to happen. If a human being was evolving, <laughs> he wouldn't have had a human being. Science will not agree with you. Someone was behind him. If I take several portions of a, a watch, one I take it in Kasenenga, the other one I take it in Pulungu, after one billion years, somehow they'll just come together and form a watch evolution. <laughs> so, evolution theories leave much to be desired. When you see a desk, you are thinking of a carpenter, right? When you see a painting, you are thinking of a painter. When you see a building, you are thinking of... But when you see creation, you are thinking of evolution. <laughs> you are down. <laughs> okay, I just have issues with some of these theories anyways. So, the point I make, therefore, is that there was a deliberate intent by God to create a particular being for a particular purpose. And what he does is that he puts very distinctive, peculiar skills in every person so that they may fulfill the purpose for which he had initially intended for them. That's why the word that is used in the book of Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 is predestined. Predestined. That's the short answer to your question. <laughs> As I was laughing because I, I thought you would mislead me. There's something I wanted to share. But when I come next week, I'll share what I wanted to share. So since you already made um, a question and answer session, maybe I can pick up maybe one more question. Yes, sir. What's your name? No, okay. It's a good question, but let me give you a philosophical uh, position. You have the correct materials, but you come up with the wrong conclusion. It's like saying 1 plus 1 is equal to 11. So, you have a set of facts given to you, but you have come up with the wrong conclusion. Um, when you study Moses in the book of Hebrews 11, The Bible says, when he became of age, he decided to leave. When he became of age, he decided to leave. So, it is age which made him decide to leave, not the murder. Moses was a prince. 
and he was considered the son of Pharaoh and could potentially make the next Pharaoh. And you know, there are a number of gods in Egypt. There is Ra, there is, uh, I've forgotten them. I knew them by name. Huh? There are a number of them. But the number one god is Pharaoh. He decides which god dies and which one lives. So even <laughs> if there's no fertility, we say, ah, let's create one. Whether it works or not. So even the descendants of Pharaoh are treated like gods. The children, especially the children of Pharaoh, they are treated like gods. Those guys can kill and nothing happens. One of the reasons why Moses ran away was because it was a political issue. Otherwise, they would just kill you and move on like nothing happened. Uh, I want you to look at the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Maybe let me show you the scripture. I think we've not read the scripture today. So, let's try to be scriptural. Chapter 11, verse 23, the Bible says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith Moses, when he became of age, are you seeing that? Meaning, what made him run away is this real reason. Now, everything worked together for that reason. Not that, had he not killed, he would have stayed there. It means something was already happening to him. Because the Bible says, by faith, when he became of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So there are other details that have not been expressed in the book of Exodus. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of, of sin. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked to the reward. So there was a spiritual maturity that was already happening in him. Because remember, he was saying, but how can you two brothers who are fellow Hebrews be fighting? And he stopped them. Because he felt like somehow he's supposed to be helping them. As a normal Egyptian, he was supposed to be enjoying the fight. Shipia, shipia. But then something was already happening in him. And then because he was sent as a deliverer, remember he was sent as a deliverer, right? His destiny was to deliver the, Israelite, the Israelites from Egyptian rule. So how can you say for him it was a sin that he killed an Egyptian? <laughs> how can you say it was a sin for him? Do you know how many Egyptians died for trying to stop the Israelites from leaving? But let me, let me help you look at it from another angle. You know, a lot of times, a lot of times, this is an error I've realized amongst many believers. Let me show you a scripture. Go to the book of Psalms. Psalm 67. Yeah, Psalm 119, verse 67. Psalm 119, verse 67. 
Psalm 119 is one of those scriptures you must study. It's powerful. It's not the shortest, <laughs> but it's just amazing. All right. Psalm 119, verse 67, the Bible reads, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. Are you seeing that? That's a person realizing that the reason they were afflicted was because they went astray, right? I want you to jump to verse 71. So this guy, think of him like this. He's got the correct set of facts, but he arrives at the wrong conclusion. 2 plus 2, you say 22. You've got the correct reagents, but you come up with the wrong product. So he says, It was good for me that I was afflicted. It was good for me that I was aff afflicted that I may learn your statutes. He's saying that, ah, had I not been afflicted, I wouldn't have learned the word of God. So now he says, the purpose of affliction is for us to learn. No, that's true for him. Not everyone has to be afflicted to learn. There are some people who say, had my parents not died, I don't think I would have come to Christ. I really understand what, no. Did your parents have to die for you to learn Jesus? God is not a barbarian. What God did is that he took advantage of your weak point. Because in that moment you are desperate and you are looking for help and you would now accept. Before now, your parents are there, so you are tough on. Body will fix it. <laughs> but now, that body has died. You have to look for heavenly body. So you now, you, you, so you, you have cor the correct set of facts, then you come to a conclusion that, uh -uh, I needed to lose my parents for me to know God. Are you saying? Now, it's true. It's true that because you lost your parents, you learned God. But it's not true that you had to lose your parents to learn God. So, when human beings sin, let me show you another scripture. When human beings sin, God sends a savior. But it doesn't mean that we, we really needed to sin to know the Savior. <laughs> it's important that we sin. Whatever you drank. <laughs> Isn't that the word? Huh? I want you to look at another scripture. Psalm 107. And verse, uh, let's begin from here. Ah, let me begin from there. Ah, from here. Hey, it's nice, this verse. <laughs> it's nice. You can start from verse 1. Uh, let's start from this one. <laughs> oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his mercies endures forever. 
Let the, redeem of the, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy and gathered out of the land from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Listen to this, verse 4. They wandered in wilderness in a desolate way. They found no city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty. They are so fainted in them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And he delivered them out of their distress. And he led them forth by the right hand, that they might go to a city for a dwelling place. All that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfied the longing of the soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. Those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, bound in affliction and irons, because they rebelled against the word of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. Therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was not help. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them out of their distress. Remember, they were rebels, they disobeyed. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death, and he broke their chains in pieces. All that men will give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he has broken the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron in two. Fools, because of their transgression and their iniquity, they were afflicted. Their soul abhorred all manner of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distress. This is my favorite part. He sent his word and healed them. And delivered them from their destruction. All that men would give thanks to the Lord for his good. He sent his word and healed them. But that scripture comes from somewhere. Fools. Remember. So. You didn't need to sin to know God's healing power. But because you were sick, God will show his healing power. Someone will now conclude and say, ah, had I not sinned as a fool? Because he says fools. <laughs> Are you seeing that? Fools because of their transgression and their iniquities were afflicted. But they cried out to God, right? And he sent his word and healed them. And they say, wow, I'm so glad I sinned as a fool. Because had I not sinned, I wouldn't have known God. When we were growing up, there were two kinds of children. Those who listened with their ears and those who listened with their skin. <laughs> <laughs> ah, you are all Zambians. <laughs> you listened with your skin. <laughs> So, no, that's the short answer to your question. <laughs> okay, I've helped you, right? Yeah. Okay, let me get the last question. Yes, my brother. When you are When I was where? When you were preaching. Okay, uh huh. I heard you saying a moment saying there was that, according to you, there was that conversation that you didn't say uh, we are going to create human beings in our own life and give them to God. So now my question is 
in the first place, before the creation of everything, after whole creation and everything, then what came in? I don't know if you can help me out. Why did he now come to plan to make a human being? Why did he choose now just to make a human being? <laughs> Uh, when you read the Bible, goodness was not complete until all that he created was in place. Then at the end he said, and God said, saw that everything was good. You remember that, right? Yes. So creation was ongoing, and goodness like a circle was being complete. And it was not complete until God created a human being in his image and likeness, then God rested. So until the human being was cre be created. So one of my reasons as to why God rested on the seventh day was not because he was afraid of the SDAs. <laughs> or, or the Jews. The Jews. Pardon me, the Jews are worse, by the way. That was not the reason. It was also not because he was tired. Because rest seems to suggest that you're tired. But can God get tired? So there's got to be a deeper reason or definition of the word rest. When I was growing up, there were some things that my father used to do every morning. like iron his shirt, polish his shoes, because my mother is not into that kind of stuff. Wow. She does that maybe once a year. <laughs> and when, and, and, <laughs> Do something, do something. And we all know that today mom has washed dad's clothes. <laughs> but I don't know, my father is a very domestic man. He would just go with like a soap, like a boom, with his tomachettes in the bathroom, listening to music, and he, he, he likes to work. He's that kind of a man. Yeah. <laughs> You're just lazy. <laughs> Um, but I've disappointed my wife because <laughs> I, I, for me, I realized I paid Lobola, so she has to do the works of the Lord. I also found a scripture in the Bible which says women, older women must teach younger women to manage their home. So I taught her to manage her home. Don't worry about the house. I can buy electricity, I can do I, I, I can do everything, don't worry. The house I can manage, you manage the home, there's a difference. So at an early age, my father taught me to iron his clothes. And I thought this man loves me until he started giving me his stuff to iron and <laughs> So, 
Because I started doing that every morning for him, I gave him rest. So it's not that he's tired. He can do it. <laughs> but then I'm there to do it. There's a command he created in his image and his likeness. However he did it, different from God, but <laughs> I am able to do I'm able to do what he should be doing. So what happens to him? He can relax. That's the idea of divine rest. So when Adam came on the scene, there are things that God was doing that he didn't need to do anymore because he had put very peculiar, a very peculiar set of skills in Adam that would do what God was supposed to do. <laughs> So God one time says, okay, I've created these animals. I didn't finish naming them. And he tells his, his angel, he says, monkey, giraffe. Eh, which one is that one? Hmm, Adam says, e, giraffe, e, monkey. And the angels, how? How did he know? I told you I'm making him in his image and likeness. <laughs> so God doesn't have to because he... Now, the, so that's a portion of the picture of goodness. And until God created man, after he created the, that and the woman, and then he saw that everything was good, then he relaxed. Amen. All right, let us stand and pray together.